Hello and welcome to another episode of the IAPMD podcast. I'm Laura Murphy, Director of Education and Awareness here at IAPMD and today we're going to be talking about menopause, specifically what it's like to enter surgical menopause at a younger age. Surgical menopause occurs when both ovaries are removed surgically. This is an invasive surgical procedure with real implications for long-term health, a decision not to be taken lightly. But for those of us who gain no relief by the other options currently available for BMDD, we sometimes have to make the tough decision to take this route to try and gain control over our health and live a PMDD-free life. I personally had my surgery at 37 years old, but what happens when your symptoms are so severe from a young age that you are forced to make that hard decision so much earlier on in your life? Today I am joined by Anna and Rachel, who have both been volunteers here at IABMD, living in different continents, but both who had to make that decision in their early 20s. Welcome to Anna and Rachel and thank you so much for joining us today and agreeing to share your experiences of going through surgery for PMDD at a younger age. I'm wondering, Anna, can you tell us a bit more about your journey living through PMDD? Um, like when did you get your diagnosis and a bit about your symptoms and the severity of them? Sure. Um, so I struggled with anxiety, depression, various mental illnesses from childhood. So I didn't really notice a correlation between my menstrual cycle and my mental health until um, sometime during college, like around age 20 or 21. So I'm not sure if PMDD started there or if it was earlier and I just didn't make the correlation. Um, I was diagnosed at age 21 with my psychiatrist when I did notice a correlation. I I somehow put the right words in Google and I got my answers that way, took it to my doctor. Um, And that's how I got diagnosed. So like a lot of people with PMDD, I basically self-diagnosed first. Mm -hmm. Um, My symptoms were absolutely debilitating. Um, They were awful. Um, I kind of like have a hard time articulating how bad it was when I was struggling with PMDD. Um, I had 29 symptoms that I would bring on a list to my appointments. Um, I could feel the anxiety like spreading throughout my body before I even opened my eyes in the morning. Um, my brain fog and memory were so bad, I would get lost driving to the grocery store or going somewhere I'd been a thousand times. Uh, my eating disorder symptoms ramped up every month during my luteal phase. Um, I had insomnia and then hypersomnia. I cried constantly. I had the most awful depression I've ever experienced in my life. I had like violent and rageful thoughts towards others that I never had outside of PMDD. Um, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts and ideation. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. And it was for all but like nine or 10 days out of the month. So it was pretty severe. And what about you, Rachel? Yeah, I'm um, very similar to Anna. I think I was diagnosed, uh, well, I, again, was self-diagnosed, I think, when I was 22. Um, uh, or 23 maybe and I just heard about PMS as a disorder from a lecture at uni because I was doing psychology and I didn't even realize that PMS was a diagnosable thing I just thought it was what everyone had and then I was doing a bit more research in the middle of the lecture and came across PMGD I think that later that evening I was doing some more research and was looking at the symptoms and just, it said you needed 10 to um, be 
sort of diagnosed or have a chance of being diagnosed and I had every single one of them I think except muscle aching and I was like oh my goodness this is the answer that I've been looking for because I'd had I'd been diagnosed with depression and I'd had uh I'd struggled with self-harm and suicide ideation for a few years and um I'd had really good psychotherapy for the um, before before finding out about PMDD, the previous, I think, three or four months, I'd been in psychotherapy after a real like mental breakdown, which was, I realised afterwards, triggered by PMDD. Um, so I was in a much better place mentally outside of PMDD, but I still, I couldn't understand why I was still getting so depressed and feeling really, really anxious and brain fog and all of that. I just couldn't understand why I still felt like that. Um, and then it was just such a light bulb moment hearing about PMDD. And I tried to get diagnosed by my GP and they just completely dismissed it. Um, like, I think you're just talking about severe PMS and don't really know how to treat that. And I was like, no, there's a thing called PMDD and it's a real thing. She was like, no, I think you're thinking it's an American thing. We don't really have that here. I mean, how can you not have it? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it doesn't swim. We can't get it here. <laughs> <laughs> and she just wasn't was really dismissive. So I went to um went to the internet and found uh the IFMD Facebook groups and found Laura through Vicious Cycles and I went to uh See Her Thrives conference. To, um, that was a few months after and just getting more involved in like the online community and I found uh, Nick Panay who um, started treating me yeah and can you tell us a bit more about what impact PMDD was having on your on your lives around that time when you got diagnosed and when you were trying treatments um, the impact it had on your um, work your career relationships education and so forth um, Rachel if you don't mind going first yeah it was yeah very very negative impact I think safe to say no one would be surprised <laughs> to hear that mm. but I was at university I was in my third year of university and um trying to do a dissertation yeah it was really really tough trying to do that while this was going on it was it was really tough being at university in general with having PMDD um it was hard just having those symptoms um, which I thought were depression for the first two years of university and school as well but it was almost harder knowing what it was because it was sort of started to just consume my life trying to find treatment. Um, I think a lot of people relate to the fact that having any kind of chronic illness, it becomes like a part-time job trying to keep up with appointments, um, finding, doing research for yourself, self-advocating. It takes up so much time and so much energy because you're having to constantly explain yourself and stand up for yourself and fight with people who are supposed to be helping you. Mm -hmm. It was a, it's just a constant uphill battle. And the first time I spoke to a doctor who was even a little bit helpful, 
it was just like you just wanted to cry and kiss them it was like thank you for listening to me because did you did you I, I didn't no I didn't. okay <laughs> just checking no but it's and yeah I wasn't I was single at the time um when it, that was all happening which I think was a good thing because it does have a, such a big impact on your relationships um but it definitely had effect on it, it had effect on how I behaved obviously so it was harder if I didn't have such supportive roommates I think that would have made it much harder I had roommates who were very good about you know supporting each other with mental health things and um understood that if I just was showing myself in my room for a week they like understood yeah didn't, it can make didn't, all the difference it really can and I uh, had already made the decision before I knew about PMDD to stop drinking which I think was really helpful for my mental health and um, it meant that you know the friends I was hanging out with understood that there was um, th- there was other things to do other than going out and drinking you know which I think was good for everyone's mental health but it, it made it easier to manage the PMDD that you I wasn't just expected to go out and participate in like the binge drinking culture of uni anymore which I think was helpful but yeah so um Rachel is um the chair of our youth advisory board at IAPMD and we've actually been working on a section which will be coming to the website soon um about just this about having PMDD and being in education um be it you know school college university or any kind of um formal education setting I guess um, because one message that came through from the youth advisory board very clearly at the beginning was the impact <coughs> PMDD was having on their education and the fact that they were having to explain themselves to you know lecturers tutors teachers again and again was really draining so we have two pages um, coming soon about just this so a page full of um, tips information on having PMDD in education and also a resource for um, younger people to share with um, again college professors tutors so forth to actually explain PMDD what effect it that PMDD and the symptoms may have on their education and their attendance and how they can help that person advocate and um, do their best to thrive in education. So really excited about having that launched. Um, it's been a really good, I think it will be a really useful addition to the IAPMD website. Um, yeah, me too. So, Anna, can I ask you if you're happy to, what impact PMDD was having on your life at that point? Sure, yeah, I definitely... Um, what Rachel said about it being a part-time job that really resonates with me. It definitely seeped into every aspect of my life. It affected my schooling. Um, thank goodness I was in my last couple semesters of school. I don't know how I got through. My grades definitely suffered. Um, I ended up taking a gap year after that before going back to school post-op. Um, my friendships, some of them suffered. It was a situation where some of the people that I would have expected to step up and be there for me didn't. And then some unexpected people who I wasn't as close with and wouldn't have really expected to uh, show up for me the way they did, did show up. So um, it was difficult. I kind of 
I had some friendships that were weakened and some that I kind of lost altogether because of PMDD. Um, athletically, I was into like running and lifting and all of that stuff. And I had to put that on hold because I wasn't consistent. Um, I was in a relationship during the worst of my PMDD and I was extremely lucky um, that I was with someone who was very, very supportive um, and went well above and beyond the call of duty with being um, with somebody with PMDD. I honestly don't know that I could have done it. He was so patient and um, attended appointments with me, all of that. So I was very lucky and I think I'm in the minority of having a good experience with the relationship during PMDD. But the worst part for me, or one of the worst parts for me, was I could look on a calendar and somebody would ask about, you know, going on a trip or planning some activity, or even just if I knew an exam was coming up or a holiday, I could look on a calendar and count out my days to see where in my cycle I was going to be. And I could know if I would be during my PMD date. PMDD days and unable to attend. Um, so there were holidays that I wasn't able to go to. I was visiting family on the other side of the country who I only see a couple times a year. And I was isolated in a room uh, sleeping all day because of my PMDD. I was really locked into a schedule based on my PMDD symptoms. And even during my quote unquote good days, I was so traumatized by the bad days and just white knuckling through knowing that it was going to hit again, that I couldn't even live through those days. Um, so it really, it took over everything. It consumed my entire life. There was no aspect of my life that PMDD didn't touch. That was really powerful. Thank you for sharing. It's really, it's, it must be really difficult to look back on it as well. Um, now being post-op. Um, can I ask Rachel what you tried treatment and intervention wise before um, you got to the stage where you started thinking that surgery might have to be an option for you? Yes, I when I found out about PMDD and I looked at I started looking up what the treatments were. I realized that I had inadvertently tried quite a lot of them already because I had had the um, implant. I'd had. I think I'd tried two or maybe just one at that point, um, contraceptive implants that they recommend PMDD and it had worked for nine months um, and then stopped being effective and my periods had come back. It had suppressed my ovulation for nine months and then my periods had come back and I, I had re I re realized that that nine months was like the most tranquil time of my life mm. and it was brilliant. I had like really lovely, easy life and then when my period started coming back, that's when all the turmoil started. I hadn't ever joined up the dots before, but um, I'd realized that. And then I'd also um, tried a lot of different pills and none of them had worked. They'd made me feel worse. Um, so then I, when I finally did get a diagnosis, I, I had to, I saw a different GP and they, um, I just, they agreed with me, um, luckily. And they started me on, uh, I think, microgyrogen pill. Mm -hmm. And I was on that for about a month and felt way worse. Um, and then I went and saw a different 
went and saw a different GP and they immediately took me off microgyrone and said, because I get, I have a history of blood clots and I have, would get migraines with aura that she was like, no one should have ever put you on microgyrone. And this is really like really bad practice and took me off it immediately, put me on a different one, which made me feel even worse in that one. Um, and they said to give it a, at least a month, but I was like, I can't. So I, I remember calling up the GP, like triage thing, um, cause I felt so awful. Um, I was like, I need to, I need to stop this. I need to try something else. So the doctor of the phone prescribed me on fluoxetine SSRIs and I was on 20 micrograms, I think for a few months, um, which didn't really make much difference. Uh, they increased the dosage and it gave me a really bad tremor, um, which was a bit annoying, but it wasn't the worst thing ever, but it also wasn't really working. Mm-hmm. Um, then around this time I was losing a lot of weight um, for no reason, presumably. And they picked up some like weirdness with my thyroid, thought I had an overactive thyroid. Um, and I was just like very ill and had no energy and was also trying to, um, get in to see a PMDD specialist. Um, so I eventually did start seeing Nick Panay. Um, took a while to get an appointment, but once I got it, I didn't see Nick Panay at first. I saw one of his colleagues who was a GP. Um, wasn't actually a gynecologist, but she was very good. And she started me on, I think, Cinerel, she started me on. Yep, the spray version of um, GnRH yes. treatment. Yes. So I had the same. It's a strange um, aftertaste. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> it, yeah, so I tried that. Um, it was okay. It started to work a little bit. I started um, around this time I had... Um, basically extended my dissertation for a year because I was it was too difficult to try and do uni um, and I was also really ill and I'd had a lot of like other health problems with my it was I think it was just emotionally taking such a toll on me that I my physical health was just like falling to bits yeah. <laughs> so um, but once I started on the GNRH things started to get a bit better um, I the Cinerol was just really inconvenient. And so I started the Solodex injections or Solodox injections and was on HRT. Um, and it worked for about a year. Well, it worked for nine months. I was on it for about a year. There's some, something with my body that things only, it only allows it to work for nine months. There must be some sort of something going on there. Yeah, your ovaries want to override things. Exactly. For sure. And just to clarify, so anyone that's not aware of GNRHA treatment, it is also commonly known as chemical menopause. So it's a a medication that's um, given either in a nasal spray, um, there's a new oral version that's out, or by injection or pellets, um, which are implanted under the skin, usually the belly stomach um and that um sends messages to your pituitary gland 
and it essentially shuts down your menstrual cycle, your ovarian function, and puts you into a sort of temporary form of menopause to flatten down the, the hormones, which is what we want with PMDD. We don't want any fluctuations. And then HRT is added back in to provide like a steady level um, and give protective benefits. Um, if anyone wants to read any more about that, if you go to iapmd.org, forward slash chemical dash menopause and we have quite a comprehensive page there about it and I'll make sure I add all the the links in the in the information here yeah, and um, can I can I ask you to Anna how um what did you try before getting to the stage where you started considering and thinking that surgery might have to be an option I tried, I feel like I tried everything under the sun um I so I was already seeing a psychiatrist prior to my diagnosis. So I had already tried a lot of antidepressants. Um, my body is very sensitive to psych meds. So I've been on probably like eight antidepressants alone. Um, so I tried a lot of antidepressants. I tried some mood stabilizers. I tried um, antipsychotic, um, anti-anxiety medications, multiple anti-anxiety medications, sleep medications, all sorts of things through my psychiatrist, multiple psychiatrists. I also did dietary changes, so I really decreased my sugar intake, cut out alcohol, um, caffeine, all of that, which was helpful, but it definitely, it just took a little bit of the edge off. It didn't do enough in the psych meds either I would have such bad side effects and no improvement or it would make things worse. So it was a lot of trial and error, which is one of the most exhausting things with PMDD because the treatments vary so much person to person. What works for one person makes symptoms worse for another person, which is just incredibly exhausting. So months and months and months of different psych meds. I also tried different uh, contraceptives. I had an IUD at one point. I did the continuous oral birth control option where you never take the placebo pills and you just take the active pills. Um, I tried a few different ones of those with actually really similar experiences to Rachel's with not even being able to make it through a full month on one of them because it made my symptoms so much worse. Um, I had my worst month of PMDD when I was on one of the uh, YAS, which is one that's approved for PMDD. So some people do really well on it and it was awful for me. So I tried all of that. I was in therapy. I did DBT, CBT, all sorts of uh, types of therapy. What else? Um, yeah, I tried it all. So then after that, I finally found a doctor who would let me do the Lupron. So that's the same as the Zolodex. It's I did the injections. I had a monthly injection to shut down my ovaries. And that was really effective for me from that first month. Um, I was on it for seven months. And it just got better and better every month. I did struggle with menopause symptoms on that and was just exhausted all the time, had the hot flashes, all of that but I was on the HRT as well. I did the same. I had estrogen, estrogen only HRT during the Lupron. So for me, Lupron was the bridge to surgery. My surgeon didn't want me on 
that long term as most doctors don't. So she wanted to see me successful on with chemical menopause before agreeing to do surgery so that I would have a picture of what my life could look like after surgery. Um, so I did really well in the Lupron and that was the final treatment before I went through with surgery. Thank you. God, you're both so eloquent. This is great. <laughs> Talked about it a lot. <laughs> you have to yeah, get good at explaining it, don't you? <laughs> you do, you do. But it's it's so interesting to hear in depth sort of other people's experiences because obviously I have mine that I went through, you know, had to jump through the hoops and so forth. To actually hear other people's journeys is really powerful and interesting. I keep saying powerful. I'll stop soon. <laughs> um. Anna, you are based in um, the United States. Um, how easy a journey was it for you to get that surgery approved once you'd made the decision that that was going to be the right decision for you? It was so, so hard. Um, I, between therapists, psychiatrists, nurse practitioners, doctors, I saw 12, I believe, total providers with really, really awful experiences. Um, I actually had a lot of lingering trauma that I had to work through because my experiences were so bad. Like I had one doctor who kept jokingly calling me a raging lunatic when I went to him and described my symptoms. Oh my God. People repeatedly just put my ability to bear children above my will to live. And, um, and how old were you at this stage? Oh, I was... 22, 21 and 22 during all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would go to my appointments, very level-headed. I had notes, charts, scientific articles printed out and highlighted. I showed up for myself fiercely and people didn't take me seriously. Everybody was consistently very dismissive, um, telling me that I would regret my decision. They would ask like, oh, well, what does your boyfriend think about that? Or say, you're going to have a really hard time finding someone who will marry you if you go through with this. They would ask how my parents feel about me not being able to give them grandchildren. They were, they seemed to be concerned about everyone but me. Um, you have to wonder if a man would get the same right. questions, wouldn't you? Right. Yep. They wanted very Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, bearing in mind you're at nursing college at the time. So you are obviously um, well-versed in clinical care and evidence-based medicine. Um, it, well, it, this was, I was during, this was during undergrad. Um, so okay. I did nursing for grad school. So that was after I had the surgery. So I was, I was not yet in nursing school at the time. Um, but yeah, so it was a very, very negative experience um, to say the least. And do you I think that was solely down to your age or was it just because um, they didn't know about PMDD or a mixture of many things? What do you think that was down to? I think it was definitely a mixture of things. I think it was my age. I think I appear, people always think that I look younger than I am. And this was even years ago. So mm -hmm. I, I think that played a role. And then I think there's a very specific stigma that comes with an illness that is at the intersection of hormones and mental health. So you get all of the stigma from both. 
and it's very hard to find a provider who is well-versed in PMDD and doesn't treat it as PMS or... We're working on that. <laughs> Trust us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are definitely working on that. I think so many of us involved in the organization and people we speak to daily, we see having the same experiences, the same. Um, and it, it comes down to uh, a lack of education and training. That's essentially what it comes down to. And, you know, you know, lots of historical throwback to, to um, talking about PMS and, you know, women's health. It's it's all tied in. But the way forward is education and training and IAPMD are, are pushing towards that in a big way, which is really exciting. Um, and what about you, Rachel? How easy was it a journey for you once you had the chemical menopause? It sounds like you were already under a specialist. So how easy was it for you as a young person to then get that surgery approved and happening? Um, yeah, I really relate to what you're saying, Anna. It's I just feel the rage <laughs> trying to not scream when you're talking about it because it's it was so hard and it's so frustrating because I think I was already a very angry feminist before this. <laughs> it just took it to a whole other level because it's it I think you're right it's about it's it comes down to no education or awareness and training about PMDD but like bigger than that it's about the fact that we're women and women's problems are just dismissed women's health is dismissed it's not all of you know historically all the research medically is for men and anything to do with women is just not as important we're just subhuman <laughs> and that rage is so can be so overwhelming when you're dealing with PMDD because you realize that if things were different and the, the sexism wasn't a thing and the patriarchy wasn't a thing there'd be research there you know starting 20 30 40 years ago which means there would could be a treatment for what I'm going through and I wouldn't have to battle every every turn. But so to answer the question, it was very difficult. Um, I had a lot of the same problems. I Once I realized I wanted the surgery, I tried to go talk to my GP about it first and they wouldn't even refer me to see a gynecologist. Um, they just would not take me seriously. It was the same thing. It was what about if you want to have children when you're older and you've really got to think this through and I was like well I'll, yeah. be, dead. I'll be dead because I can't yeah. survive any more months of this I, I'm feeling so suicidal and what we a I could as a good chance I won't be able to survive PMDD for many more months because if and especially if there's no hope at the end of the like no light at the end of the tunnel I don't know how I'll manage so there'll be no babies anyway and B, if I do manage to survive, somehow get pregnant, which isn't even a, a guarantee for anyone. And if I did manage to survive through it, then I know that I would not be a competent mother or parent living with PMDD personally. I'm, I know there are lots of people who are, but I, I, I knew myself I couldn't even look after myself yeah. with PMDD. So how on earth would I look after a child? And I, I felt exactly the same way. I thought um, I was a lot older when I had my surgery, but I I just thought I can, there's, you know, 
10 days a month, seven days a month that I can barely function. You know, things don't get done. Washing up doesn't get done. Things, mm-hmm. the house not doesn't fall apart, a bit dramatic. I don't do that much housework, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and I see my friends having children and I just think I would not be able to do that. Um, you know, and some people do. And I think it depends on, you know, the severity of your symptoms and, you know, cause of course PMTD is a spectrum disorder. So some people do and can manage and it depends on, you know, family support and how long the symptoms last. Um, but I can, yeah, totally, totally relate to that one. And it's, seems such a shame when the the quote you know and the doctors are right you know it is a decision that needs to be carefully carefully thought about and people need to know the long-term implications risks benefits you know who's going to help manage their long-term care after surgery because it is an ongoing um thing that needs to be managed surgical menopause but i think it's really sad to hear that so much of it just comes about around making babies because you know that isn't everyone's chosen path you know it's not I think what I I just an important thing to add about this though is um some of the specialist doctors were more concerned about the long-term health risks Mm -hmm. about um you know your bone health um after surgery and you know the risks that come with having having surgery so young of course and I was took that very seriously and it it can be frustrating when you're in the middle of PMDD and you are just looking for a way out and you're just like trying to scramble to you know survive another month closer to surgery it's it's really tough but I after surgery um I had the had a moment of clarity I suppose when I realized that it was I was actually quite grateful for not the not all the overwhelming sexism about having babies, but the need to to have people along the way help you make sure you're not rushing into it. Because yeah. I think there was a moment I, I was okay um, for, for a lot of things about not being able to have children. I was predominantly comfortable with the decision by the time I came to it, but there was a lot of grief there. And it was really tough. It was a really hard decision to make. And there's a lot of grieving involved with it about the ability, the ability to carry a child and give birth. There's a lot of, there still will be grief around that for the rest of my life, I'm sure. But I had a feeling where it, there was a moment of clarity that um, where I was feeling like, oh, I can never have, carry a child now. And if there was any hint for my brain to like cling on to that someone had not explained to me or pushed me to make the decision or hadn't you know hadn't laid out the risks then I sometimes I think in the moment of grief your brain can just attach that and be like well that doctor didn't explain to me that I wouldn't be able to freeze my eggs or blah 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 Mm. but I think having you know people be respectful about your decision and respectful of the fact that you are it's about yeah it's about informed choice informed choice I think um I spoke to someone recently um it's a friend of mine actually who said she actually stopped seeing her specialist because she felt they're a bit hysterectomy happy was her term Mm -hmm. um she tried one thing for PMTD and then they suggested a hysterectomy and 
you kind of think, oh, you know, it's at the end of the guidelines for a reason. You know, it the long term implications are are serious and it needs to be managed. And um, like you say, it just needs to be an informed decision so that you can make your decision being fully armed with the facts, being fully armed of, you know, what you need to do after the surgery, which is exactly why we built this whole new section on the website, because so many of us have been through it and there just wasn't a place where all this information was collated in one place. Um, so, you know, we have in there, like, you know, the risks and benefits, um, HRT, chemical menopause, recovering from surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it, Rachel, that was your, what was that final, what was that moment when you made the final decision to have surgery was there like something that happened or was it a slow roller coaster of a process like me (laughs) I think it was a bit of both um it was a roller I think my what was a bit I suppose unusual or not I don't know uh as soon as I found out about PMDD there was something in the back of my head knew that a hysterectomy was going to be anything that worked for me I don't know if it was intuition or just the fact that I had realized I'd inadvertently tried a lot of things already. Um, I don't know what it was, but that was about three years or so, or two and a half years before I eventually came to the decision. That was just something in the back of my head. I was like, I don't think I'm treatment resistant. I just have the feeling um, because I'd already been resistant to treatments without knowing it. Oh, see, I was the opposite. I, I must be a bit of a an optimist, despite yeah. my grumpiness. <laughs> that I was everything I tried. I was like, "This is going to work. This is going to be it for me." Yeah. And then I remember them sort of. I remember being on hormone therapy under Dr. Bonet, also in London, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, and I remember that not working. And then saying, "You know, we we need to treat this a bit more aggressively now." And I was just like, "Oh, I'm not ready." Like I didn't think. I'd be starting chemical menopause today. Um, I need a few months to think about it. So, I, you know, I, w- I went away and thought about it. But I think, and I remember joining the the IAPMD hysterectomy and oophorectomy group. Yeah. And then having to leave because I was like, oh, my God, this is too scary. I'm not ready for this. I think um, I must have been, yeah, ever so uh, optimistic. And then yeah. it kind of sort of slowly dawned like, okay, this is going to have to happen. And what about you, Anna? What was the, was there a moment you realized that you were going to have to make that decision to have the surgery? And was it a struggle to come to that decision? It wasn't so much a moment. It was just, it was a gradual realization that nothing was working. I was exhausting every option and with every new treatment, they want you to give it between like one and three months. And it was destroying me. Mm. It was trying thing after thing after thing after thing and nothing worked. It was just, it drained the life out of me. Um, I, I knew it was the end of the line. I knew there was nothing else for me to try. So... I knew I had nothing left to lose. I knew for me, PMDD was going to be a death sentence if I didn't get surgery. So it became an easy choice once I had tried everything. Um, 
So when it came down to it, I was begging doctors for my surgery. I was begging doctor after doctor to get the Lupron so that I could get the surgery. It wasn't something I knew right from the beginning that I wanted, but once I realized that 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 was really my only option is what it came down to, then there was like no turning back. I was set on it. Um, it wasn't really a struggle for me because I was so so desperate to be free from PMDD. And like I said, there was just nothing left to lose. I was losing everything. Um, yeah, PMDD was going to kill me if I didn't have surgery. So for me, it was an easy decision. I, w- I was asked the same question today, you know, what was it that made your decision? And all I could think, well, I've, rem- I've got a video that I took of myself in PMDD saying, I can't live like this. This isn't a life. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. And that's, you know, the sentence that just came out of my head straight away. Like, I can't keep doing this. Like you say, I jumped through all the loops. I tried what there was, um, you know, and it just got to the point where it was like you say, like, I can't go on like this and I'm out of choices. So, um, yeah, it's, it's extremely difficult. And then what did you, what do you remember about your surgery and your recovery? So how far post-op are you now, Anna? I was three years post-op in March. So I'm a little bit over three and a half years out already, which is crazy. Um, the physical recovery for me was pretty easy. I think because of my age and I was you know, in pretty good shape, um, good physical health. So the physical recovery was pretty easy for me. Um, menopause was not easy. I think a lot of people assume that the hysterectomy for PMDD will be an instant fix. And for some people that is the case, but for most people, menopause, surgical menopause is a big adjustment. Um, you're cutting your hormones so drastically that I, for me, I had some similar PMDD symptoms, honestly. I had, I still had to treat the anxiety, the depression, the brain fog, all of that, that came with menopause. It was different from PMDD. It was much improved, but it was a journey to get where I am now. It did take about a year for me to get my hormones figured out. Um, I messed with my dosages a lot of my estrogen. I take estrogen oral tablets. And then I also use a testosterone cream. And that was really the missing piece of the puzzle for me, that testosterone cream. Um, but it was, like I said, it was about a year of tweaking my medications and working really closely with a uh, team. I, I was actually, I should mention this. I somehow lucked out where the grad school that I chose for nursing happened to have on campus at that hospital, one of only five menopause clinics in the whole country. Oh, wow. So, I, by chance, I had no idea going into it. So I, at this center, I had my psychiatrist, I had my doctor, I had um, a pelvic physical therapist that I worked with. Um, I had a whole little treatment team. So that was very helpful, but it was definitely an adjustment after surgery for me. Yeah. And I think that's really common. I think when I see a lot in in groups and with patients that they think or they believe that surgery is 
the whole treatment and it's not like surgery is about 50% of it. You know, the, the other half is the recovery and getting those levels steady. I mean, even those without PMDD, without a hormone sensitivity can really, really struggle in surgical menopause. It can be really, really, really difficult. So I think I'm really pleased that you mentioned that, that, you know, it does definitely take time to, to sort out post-op and um, Rachel you you had your surgery much more recently can you tell us a bit more about that and how you've been recovering yeah I had my surgery in December and it is October now time of recording this so uh, it's been about 10 months yeah and um, how how it's more, sorry how- <laughs> Okay. And one thing I'm just going to quickly point out is I know we're talking about, and it comes up a lot, that the surgery is a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not entirely the case. It's the oophorectomy that's important with PMDD. It's the ovary removal. Some people will need a hysterectomy in addition to the ovary removal, but that depends on your personal circumstances and how you react to progesterone add back. Um, You can read more about that on the website. Yes. um, I had the full surgery because I am progesterone intolerant. So I couldn't um, couldn't keep my womb because I would need progesterone add back to you know keep it um, healthy and avoid cervical cancer. And yeah. So I had a surgery in December and the recovery was pretty quick. To be honest, I had a good surgeon, I think, and it was laparoscopic, so it was keyhole surgery. Um, the, I think something that I think is, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about on the groups was the actual surgery for me was very traumatic. I um, had a really rubbish time with the surgery. I found it really, it was very, very painful. I think a lot of people said that they didn't feel much pain with the surgery because of the drugs or whatever. Um, for me, the surgery was very, very painful. And it was, I think I was in hospital for a, a couple of extra nights and I was planning to because I was struggling so much with the pain. The gas that they put in your stomach to perform the laparoscopic surgery um, takes a long time to come out and it is excruciating (laughs) Um, it's like the worst fart pains you could ever imagine but um also (laughs) that coupled with the fact that your whole insides have been battered and you know mucked about with so that was really rough but once I was out of out of hospital and back home and recovering it it was really quick recovery um physically the I was immediately started taking my um, HRT again, which I hadn't, I would had been taking before surgery because of the chemical menopause. Um, it, I was on a pretty high dose. I think I was on 200 micrograms. Um, so I didn't actually, I know this is going to make people a bit annoyed, but I didn't actually have any side effects like of menopause. I, had a really I've had a really very luckily I've had a very easy time of it so far touch wood 
I don't think anyone would be annoyed. That's like the dream. That's what we want for everyone. Yeah. You know, I think, um, yeah, I'm sure people only wish the best. Yes. I, I, I hopefully that it can be a, a bit of a, a beacon of hope for some people that it's not always awful. Um, I, in my, in my mind, I put it down to the fact that I already was on a, or we were responding really well to the estrogen. And, and I kept that up after surgery and was on a very high dose immediately afterwards. I think that really helps combat the menopause symptoms because I had obviously a specialist gynecologist with PMDD. Sorry if you can hear my dog drinking water. That's okay. Drink up, up. <laughs> um, the, the next, like the last few months, well, the last however long since surgery have been, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing, really. Uh, it's That's what I was going to ask yeah. you. So, so seven months down the line, how, looking back, mm. are you feeling about the whole process? Yeah, talking what, about... What different... Oh, sorry. So look, let me start again. <laughs> so um, looking back, it's been about seven months since your surgery. So how do you feel about the surgery now, looking back on the process and um, what difference has the surgery made to your life in general? Yeah, it's, it's actually a bit strange like, talking about, you know, my PMDD. I, I still talk about it regularly because, you know, I'm with IFMD and we talk about it all the time, mm-hmm. but it's hard to imagine that's how I used to be. And that's how I used to feel because I'm so different now. Um, it was just like abject misery before surgery. Like on on top of the fact that you're living with PMC symptoms, which are awful, as anyone can relate to who has it, you're also dealing with making hopefully the biggest decision and hardest decision I've ever, ever will have to make. Or, and it's certainly the hardest decision I've ever made. Um, you're just so unsure. I was so unsure I was making the right decision, even though I'd had that moment of like intuition of knowing it was the right thing. It was then very difficult. Like after that, I was still very hopeful with every, every treatment and was hoping everything was going to work and it didn't. And, um, it's just not something I think anyone would ever want to do. Um, if they didn't have to do it, I think, you know, it's just really tough. So I'm just feel incredibly lucky basically to sum up. I feel very, very grateful. Um, and yeah, I've been given a second chance at life now, which I'm hope, trying to put to as much use as I possibly can. I think working with IFMD with the youth advisory board, um, is one way I'm trying to channel that the newfound energy and, you know, mental well-being I have and trying to channel it into helping other people who aren't as lucky as me. Um, I think I think it's so powerful to be able to use your experience um, for good, you know, despite PMDD being such a struggle for so many people that to be able to come out the other side of it and actually use that experience to try and look back and, you know, put your hand out and pull other people up up through the journey you know whatever their journey may be is is really powerful so thank you for joining us on that one um can I just ask you the same question and as I'm looking back so three and a half years Mm post-op 
um, how has your life changed since and what's your, your memory of it all? My life post-op is something that I never could have imagined, honestly. If, yeah, pre-op me would never have thought I would be on a podcast talking about how well I'm doing. I don't know. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of surreal. But um, yeah, I remember just before surgery, I was in the Facebook groups and talking about some of my concerns and someone, I can't even remember who it was, but they just said some calming words and they were, um, they kind of sent me off. The next day was my surgery and they said, see you on the other side. Um, the view here is pretty great. And the view is pretty great. Um, I'm getting emotional even like thinking about it, but um, yeah, the life I'm living now, I would never have been able to imagine. You know, I'm working full time in a very stressful career um, as a nurse in the most stressful year of nursing ever. <laughs> Yeah, this was recorded in 2020, if anyone's wondering what that's about. (laughs) Yes, yeah, this is during COVID. So um, I've run marathons. I'm trying to run a marathon. I I live, I, after surgery, I promised myself that I would never forget what PMDD was like because I don't want to ever take life for granted. I think people who didn't experience PMDD or any other like horrible illness um, sometimes can take things for granted and I don't ever want to do that. So I am trying to run a marathon in every state. I'm getting ready next year to move across the country. I'm going to do a month long solo road trip, hitting all these uh, like national parks. Um, I have all these big travel plans for the post COVID (laughs) era. So not anytime soon. Um, But yeah, I just want to pack so much life into my years now. Um, I, I also, just like Rachel said, I feel so incredibly lucky. Um, I know I'm one of the lucky ones. So many, we've lost so many people to PMDD. Um, so I don't take a single second for granted. Um, and I kind of think part of Part of that is honoring the people that we lost by living my life in a way that they didn't get the opportunity to. Um, And also I'm in the US, so the fact that I could see all these doctors try all these treatments is a huge, huge privilege um, financially because of our healthcare system. I had excellent insurance through my college. I was able to see all these people. So uh, I know that for me, it's not just, it's, it's luck and it's also a lot of privilege that I do not take for granted, but yeah, I'm, the fact that I can make plans a month away and I don't have to check the calendar to see where I'm going to be in my cycle. It's absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. So for me, best decision of my life, hands down, not a single regret would have the surgery every six months if I needed to surgery is not for everyone, but for me, it was the best decision. For sure. Thank you, Anna. That was so lovely. I think we're all tearing up. I know. (laughs) Very inspiring. It really is. So um, what would you tell uh, a younger person who is living with PMTD themselves, Rachel, and their 
a bit lost and wondering what to do, what would be your advice? Oh, yeah, I, I think my advice would be, I think, first of all, I would just say, I'm so sorry having to deal with this. I, there's sometimes there's just, there's nothing to say. Um, it, but to sit with someone and sometimes you just, it's hard, especially having been through it yourself and knowing how like deep the despair can go. It's hard to acknowledge the depth of that pain in someone else. A lot of the time it is really, and it's, it can be very hopeless sometimes. And, you know, the reality of living with PMDD is can feel really hopeless sometimes because it, it, it can be, it, the reality is there's a, not a lot of treatments that work for people um, for some people, but my advice would be is that there is hope. Um, I completely second Anna's point about the fact that I have had an enormous amount of privilege, the fact that I am able to have had the surgery at all, living in England, where the treatment, you know, is pretty advanced and the research is pretty advanced. And the fact I had parents who paid for me to see a private doctor that's a huge privilege that I so so lucky for um but my advice would be that you know yourself best and if you are if that if you're considering having surgery um if to end your PMDD like suffering I think listen to your own body and listen to your own mind um and it's it's a really tough decision and I wouldn't presume to like patronize someone thinking that they don't realize what a tough decision it is and that it's it's not the easy way out I think if you are seriously considering giving up your any ability to carry a child and give birth even if, if for someone like myself who didn't really want to have children that's still a really tough decision it's also just completely irreversible any decision that's completely irreversible, that's quite unusual um, and really tough. So, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't want to patronise someone into thinking that they haven't weighed that up, but it is really tough. But listen to yourself and um, keep, just fight for yourself. Yeah. And keep fighting. And keep fighting because there is hope. And there's support. So if you're going through it, you know, there's support groups. We've got the IAPMD, um, the young PMDD support group. If you're a younger person um, living with PMDD, it's all inclusive. Uh, We invite anyone to to join that group. Rachel's in there. There's other members of the YAB who will um, look after you (laughs) and take you under their wing. There's also the IAPMD um, peer support team who are there if you've got any questions it's confidential um you can reach out for any questions via our website if you want information or resources or someone just to to sit with you or just if you want to talk about your options um out loud with someone to you know try and make sense of it um so i'm going to ask the same question to you Anna. what would you tell someone um who is younger and living with pmdd i would first like to validate how real it is. I think most of us who have struggled with PMDD have 
had so many people, whether in our personal lives or on the internet or in actual scientific studies or in with doctors question the validity of a PMDD diagnosis. Um, there's a lot of medical gaslighting with PMDD. So the first thing that I would always want to tell someone is that what you are experiencing is very real and your reaction to it is very valid. Um, and also, it doesn't matter how many years of schooling some doctor went to, you are always the expert on your own body. Um, so own that, advocate for yourself fiercely because you have to with this illness. Trust yourself, trust your intuition, and find a treatment team, whether that be your therapist, psychiatrist, gynecologist, someone who is who you know will be in your corner um, and build a treatment team from there. No, that's perfect. Thank you. And I think um, something we were saying earlier about um, treatments being so trial and error, we are working on patient treatment guidelines to help people navigate the um, potentially difficult journey through PMDD. And we're also building out the provider directory. We're also building out the provider resources so that providers have a place to come and find all evidence-based information that they need to help treat patients to save time and to save um, wasted efforts on treatments and making sure that patients get accurate diagnosis and accurate treatment and lastly I just wanted to thank both of you so much for sharing your journey I'm sure it will really help so many people out there to hear your stories and I'm so pleased to hear that you're doing so well on the other side um, it's really great to hear I'm very proud of you both thank you Laura thanks for having us on yes thank you so much it was very cool to talk with I feel like Rachel you and I had so much like I was hearing you talk and it was like echoing my experience me so, too it was so cool thanks for listening to the IAPMD podcast don't forget to leave a review subscribe and share